This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, we're here once again for Sox Degrees, Len Casper, Jason Benetti, and we're joined by uh, White Sox should have been all-star Dylan Cease. Hi, Dylan. Hello, thank thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, for the people who aren't watching and are just listening, we should describe you are sitting here in a cease and desist t-shirt yep. while holding a cup of coffee. Yes. And I feel like we are one step away from a poetry slam Ooh, right now. I, the coffee hits hard, maybe. Uh, but yeah, right now, the mind's not working too sharp. No, but it's sleepy. got like a very art house sort of feel. Mm. Like there should be somebody with an acoustic guitar playing like Blessed Union of Souls. Can we make that happen? Corner. Len, do you want to do that? I think in post-production, we'll... Yeah. Post-production? Yeah, we'll edit that in. Yeah, yeah, we'll take care of that. Brian Gailey will be all over that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brian loves when we add that sort of work to his plate. <laughs> uh, when did Dylan Cease become the person that he is right now? Like, when did you mm. get the sensibility that you currently have? Wow. What a question. Um, when did I get the sensibility? Well, that's still very much a work in progress. Um, I don't know, I guess it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint it. Like all the experiences I've had, especially the last couple of years, um, have definitely helped get me to this point, but I don't know. I'm, like I said, it's a work in progress. It's kind of a hard one to answer. Well, let me, let me try another way. Uh, take minor leaguer Dylan Cease and mm. compare him to major leaguer Dylan Cease. Yeah. Big difference. But, but, but on and off the field too. Yeah. Just yeah. your mindset. I think um, when you're in the minor leagues, it's kind of hard to imagine what the major leagues is like. Like you can picture it, but you you don't really know. So um, I don't know. I, I was always I was always pretty anxious in the minor leagues. I never knew. Like you know, you never really know. Like hey, can I really do this? So um, I'm definitely a lot more confident in in the fact that I've been here and had success now. Um, I can just kind of sleep a little easier knowing I can do it. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest difference. Can you imagine anxious Dylan Cease, Glenn? I I know you want me to say no, but he's a pitcher. And I, I, I can't honestly say I've ever met a pitcher who doesn't have I, yeah, some I mean, of that, right? Yeah. You, I don't know how you wouldn't. Um, I mean, I feel like it's just a normal – like every every player at some point is gonna battle self doubt and like all all kinds of different things. Uh, just it's obviously there's such a few amount of major leaguers. Um, it's the elite of the elite. So if you don't have self doubt at some point, I, I don't know. Maybe you're just naturally the most confident guy ever. There's also like a, a geographical thing where the batter is standing there with a catcher and an umpire within close proximity. Yeah. But when you have an inning that you can't get out of and you're on the mound and the pitching coach has already made a visit and there's nobody up in the bullpen, I, I just I can't think of a, a tougher spot mentally for anybody in our sport to be in. Is that a fair Yeah, way to put especially, it? I mean, 
just from my experience, I didn't really know where the ball was going until last year. And this year I even know more where it's going. So I spent, I spent some time out on the mound really not having um, a feel for anything. And that as a pitcher is, is a tough feeling. It's, it's pretty much you're just battling and grinding every start. Um, and the biggest thing, I was kind of able to compartmentalize, I think, and go like, all right, you're, you're not great right now, but you got the tools. Now we just got to like just chip away and figure out how to get a little bit better. And then obviously um, Ethan Katz has just helped develop me tremendously. But um, yeah, I definitely wasn't the, the start to my career wasn't exactly the uh, the hottest start, you know. So so when you didn't know where the ball was going. Yeah. What was it like to wake up on a day you were starting? Where was your mind? It was stressful, honestly. Um, I, I, I wasn't like in a state of not believing in myself, but I didn't have that like conviction that I was going to go out and strike out 10 guys and it was going to be, you know, dominate. It was more of like, I don't know. I was, I was, I was pretty anxious. Um, and I had a, I mean, I had a routine. I had my, like my meditation, my yoga, all kinds of different stuff that I was just trying to use to sort of supplement or, or help me get through it. That's why I asked about when you became you in part, because mm. I, I'm imagining like eight year old Dylan Cease meditating. Oh, no. And I wonder what like eight year old or 10 year old Dylan Cease was like compared to the guy we know now. No, that was none of that started happening until I was like really hardcore 20. But the Chicago Cubs had like a mental strength program and they had introduced meditation and all that. And I didn't buy into it super hard at the time. And then, um, I stumbled across a Yogi that I like sad guru. I think we've talked about him. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was like, sold like, man, this is really cool. Raising your consciousness, all this different stuff. Um, there's actually tools that you can, um, use to like help your inner experience of life, which is really like at the end of the day, what really matters, you know, like, like you said, it's hard to picture me being anxious, but you don't ever know what's going on on the inside of what someone's thinking, feeling all that. So uh, I didn't get into that until I was in the minor leagues and I was just looking for advantages and tools and ways to overcome um, self-doubt. And like, I don't know, in the minor leagues, there's obviously a lot of challenges. For me, I, I had torn my UCL my senior year of high school. Um, so I was like dealing with like the not knowing how to come back from that and i was only 18 so i never even left home so it was like i'm now out in arizona by myself i'm having to rehab my arm i'm having to learn how to be a professional um on top of some other stuff that was going on so it was like all right i need tools to figure out how to like just get through this you know i'm not surprised you said i'm a work in progress and my guess is in 10 years if we had the same conversa conversation, you would, you would give the same answer. Um, Absolutely. There's a curiosity you have intellectually that I don't know if a lot of fans get to get into. We do because we see you in the clubhouse. And the questions are almost more important than the answers to people like you. And I would consider Jason one of those people. I would hope that I'm one of those people as well. Um, do you think wisdom is more about the questions than the answers? Yeah, I think <laughs> even just being able to answer ask the right questions like you said um i don't know i i wouldn't say i'm that wise but the questions are definitely important and willingness to ask them and and seek the truth yeah uh could you be a short reliever and not know when you're going to pitch or yes you could okay yeah because i was going to ask you about how important your routine is knowing when you are going to pitch um it's important i think 
the biggest thing, excuse me. Um, I mean, I, I would have to, I would figure it out. It, it wouldn't be basically uh, when it comes to pitching now, I don't ever like to think that I can't do something, you know, like I just put my eye on the target and I go to the target. So whether I'm starting or I'm relieving, it's going to be the same process. It would just be taking care of my body differently, basically. Interesting. So adaptability is something that's important to you as well. And that's also not yeah. the case for every pitcher. There are certain guys, boy, if you get them out of the routine by an inch one way or the other, well, it's, it's just, just a rough day. As a pitcher, your job is to execute, you know? So it's like, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that. And it doesn't matter if I'm pitching on two days rest or whatever, like I'm going to have the same process. I can't guarantee I'm going to have the results, but um, it's my responsibility to do that, you know. Before we move on, you mentioned your pitching coach. And I'm always fascinated by this, and I, I pepper pitchers about the same guys over and over. When Ethan comes out, do you generally know what he's going to say? Does he ever surprise you? Or is the message generally consistent? Um, I wouldn't say he surprises me. He, he's going to come out, and depending on what the situation is, he's going to say, hey, you know, what are we thinking here? Throw this pitch. Um, or it could be like, maybe they they're bringing in a pinch hitter and you don't know them that well hey so throw this um but usually it's like scenario based like hey um you know just giving you a breather we need a ground ball here so maybe throw a slider away and see if you can get one you know something something like that when your infielders are there with you do they ever say anything does anybody just throw in a light-hearted whatever that has nothing to do with anything other than to just lighten the moment or is it all business? No, it's usually business. I would say Tim is probably the most talkative, you know, like, <laughs> come on baby or something like that, you know, but yeah, it's, it's usually pretty supportive. So for those of us who are interested in this sort of thing for the White Sox comedy club, I guess at some point, if you were doing mm -hmm. an Ethan Katz impersonation, what would a hallmark phrase or two be that you'd have to have in a good Ethan? A phrase or two. Hmm. I always, I always joke about around about adding a pitch like a sinker or something. So like, it'll be the last pitch the bullpen, and I'll go like backdoor sinker, and he'll just freak out. So maybe something, something along the lines of messing with him like that, I guess. But I can't think of really. I wouldn't say he really has a phrase, you know, off the top of my head. Who was it who told us? Was it Lucas? <clears throat> win this pitch. I think so. Oh yeah, yeah. Lucas yeah. said that that his his phrase is win this pitch. And then later, we had Gordon Beckham and I asked Lance, who did an inning with us in Kansas City when he was on the IL, what would be in a good Ethan Katz impression. And he said, just make sure Lucas is everywhere on time. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. That's a win, right? Um, what's it like having a twin brother? Hmm. Well. Hi, Alec. Yeah. What's it like? Um well, growing up, growing up, I always had uh, someone to do something with. So that was that was a big thing. Um, obviously, you share you share most of your day with that person um, throughout throughout your childhood. Um, I guess it's just like kind of having a built in. It's like having a built in friend. Although until about the age of eighteen, we were not very friendly with each other. Really? Unfortunately, no. But we're we're much friendlier now. We share disc golf. We share a lot of things. We're 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 in a much better place now, but we used to fight a lot as kids. Why? I don't know. It was, it, we were just kind of, I don't know, pretty ruthless towards each other, competitive. Um, but I'll tell you what, we absolutely destroyed rec baseball. 
because he was just as good as I was. I was just as good as he was. And uh, so we'd have – he and I would be on the same team. So it was like having two first-rounders. It, it was kind of cheating the system, really, if you think about it. <laughs> what, when, when did it change when you, you felt like that moment where you started to get along on, the, on this level? I would say maybe senior year and then when I left, uh, when he went to college, then I left to Arizona for pro ball. I guess you, you leave and you kind of go do your own thing and you come back and it's a little, uh, a little friendlier. What were the fights like? Like, what was it over? Mm, the anything. I mean, it was, let me think. Uh, I remember one time, um, like, playing basketball. And uh, for whatever reason, like, he didn't want the uh, the game to end. And I remember, like, taking either a basketball to the face or an elbow. Or whatever. But uh, not to make him out to be the bag. I was, it was 50-50. We were both, like, we were both just hard on each other. I, I honestly, I don't know why. It just was like a. It was just a thing. We we're very, very hard on each other. Uh, and he's a pilot now. Is that right? What is? What does he do? He's uh, right now. He works for Mercedes Benz. Okay. Um, Wasn't he getting like his pilot license? Or yeah. Like that? He's. I'm not even sure how far he is technically with that. He's got past. He's got more than just his private. It's, he went pat farther than that, but he didn't go all the way with that yet. But I think he's still planning on doing that. But. Um, He's getting, he's getting married in November, so I guess he probably just wanted to get a little stability, kind of get some of that taken care of before he goes back to it, maybe. What's he like when he watches you pitch? He's probably intense. It's, it's, I think it's a lot of, you know, the umpire misses a call. He's probably not happy with the umpire. Uh, things of that nature. All right, you mentioned disc golf. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, there's a course near my house. And there's some pretty serious players. Um, what got you into that? My brother. Okay. So this was probably, I would say, 2018. Um, in the off season, he was living at my parents' house. I was living at my parents' house, and um, he had he had always had it on on the TV when he would like do his homework. And I would get back from my lifting, and I would give him a hard time. I'm like, what is this like nerdy whatever? I whatever. Um, no, no, it's great. You you know you would love it. Blah blah blah. Come on out. So we go out to Will's Park, and I think I just walked a course with him. And somehow or another, I just got hooked on it. Like, it's, I don't know how to explain it. You throw one good shot or whatever, or just, I, I think the process, it's kind of like baseball. Like, you got to sit there and work on your mechanics until it comes out right. Um, so I was horrible at first at it, but I would play with him. We would go out and, and play a bunch of different courses. And then you just find things that, that you like about it. You know, you're out in nature, you're, there's all kinds of different courses you can play, different discs to throw, different types of shots. You got to angle one this way, you got to angle one that way. Uh, going for aces, all kinds of different stuff that that I find enjoyable about it. Um, I don't really know the ins and outs of like the pro circuit, but how good are you? Because you look like you're really good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not like anywhere near great. For someone who doesn't get to play that much, I'm really good. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not. Okay. So in disc golf, there's like a rating system. Okay. The elite of the elite, I want to say are like 1050 rated, 1050 rated. Um, I, I played in a tournament with my brother last, last November. It was in Tuscaloosa. I can't remember what the name of the tournament was, but uh, I think I shot like a 930 or in the low 900s. I actually played great. I, it was crazy. I, I, I was on par. 
I was on on pace to shoot below par and there was like three holes left. And I think I was like minus three or minus four. And this is like a pretty legit course. So I was like, I was, I was, I was impressing myself. Um, and there's this island hole and it was like, it wasn't really an island. It was just like wooden sticks in a circle. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't get it on there. So I went out of bounds once, out of bounds twice. I might've gone out of bounds three times. I shot like a plus eight on that hole and it ruined my entire round, but I still shot like a decent, I was probably plus two or three, but I was on pace to beat my brother and that one hole destroyed me. <laughs> so did you see some other players, like someone who may have won the tournament or that good? And you were like, oh, wow. Yes. That's there's another level. Yes. There's, there was, there was definitely a next tier of players, but I would say I was right below. I mean, it's hard to say. I didn't see everyone out there, but I definitely wasn't the worst player out there. And I, I shot, I know I shot, I was hot in that tournament. I mean, I really did well. It was, it was probably, I probably shot better in that tournament than I would usually, but maybe I just show up for the big moment. You never know. <laughs> I liked like that acquired arrogance. <laughs> It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Why do baseball players seek out games where one bad moment can ruin the entire day? Because hmm. you just described like two walks in an inning after five shutout. I don't know if I don't know if we seek that out or if we're just the most uh, adept at handling that. So it just you know naturally we find our, ourselves in that situation. I don't know. I don't. For me, it's just the pleasantness of of playing well outweighs those few moments of of bad play, which are inevitable because we're not nobody's perfect, you know. Len Dylan is the first person we've had on this podcast where I feel compelled to ask the question: Why are we all on Earth? <laughs> why are we all on Earth? That is a good question. Why are we all on Earth? I think uh, I think that's an answer that. I think that's an answer that we will never really truly know until uh, until the final moments, maybe. If yeah. there isn't even a knowing to that, I would say the best answer to that is probably 
Um, I don't know. I like the yogic answer. Basically, that uh, I don't want to sound dark, but in in yoga, I've heard Sadhguru say that um, basically life life doesn't have have a meaning. It kind of like is the meaning. So just like living it and experiencing it um, is the point, and that anything else is basically your mind um, trying to basically find answers or um, just, I don't know, in, in yoga, they look at your mind as like a tool. So it's basically like if you're asking that question, you're, uh, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's basically like your mind is kind of getting in the way of you enjoying life sort of deal. Right. It's asking a question to try to organize what you're doing yes. rather than just doing. Yes, it's asking, and it's, it's, I think another phrase I've heard is like, it's like um, trying to dig, it's like trying to um, take a spoon and empty out the ocean, you know? It's like our, our minds, I probably are never really going to be able to figure that, that thing out. Yeah. I'm fascinated with how you carry all of that curiosity to the mound mm. and then just laser focus on the moment. Yeah. How do you do that? Um, well, I will admit, I, I do consider myself a very curious person. I enjoy learning and finding new hobbies. Um, but on the mound, I really don't have a whole lot of thoughts. It's pretty much, I know what I have to do to, to have success and I'm either doing it or I'm trying to adjust. There isn't a whole lot of thinking. So it's like very transactional. In what sense? In that you're dealing with this thing in front of you. And then it's the next, like, it's almost like a contract between you and the batter in the moment. Is how yeah, I'm sort of gathering you describing it. Yeah, how you could you say that. Um, there isn't, like, there isn't really anything to be curious about because I'm competing. Uh, I'm just, I'm just giving everything I have moment to moment. And, um, you know, I guess it's such, it's such a big, like, the games are so big in a sense that like it really is it takes all of your focus and all of your concentration so i would say i'm just i'm very focused on on trying to win win the game you know there isn't a whole lot of in my opinion the mind will usually get in the way more than it will help so there isn't a whole lot of using the mind to get through that it's it's using everything you've got does it feel big yeah a lot of times i mean sometimes some are bigger than others like if you're playing you know, if you're playing a playoff game as opposed to, you know, a regular season game. But, I mean, they all they all feel – they all – I mean, I pretty much treat them all the same way. I do the same process. Um, I try to bring the same intensity to every game. But on the mound, like, does it – when you're on the mound, as Len's describing that alone moment, yeah. does it feel big? Like, how – what size does it feel? Hmm. Well, honestly, from my perspective, it it's – I'm still almost kind of getting used to being a major league baseball player. So like, so I, I actually answered this question yesterday. Like they were talking about the, um, the strikeout and passing Chris sale thing. And it's like, I still just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm playing a game. I'm still like me. I, I don't feel any different or any bigger than I ever have or was, but like, the more success you have with baseball, the more you get treated in a higher regard. Um, 
but does it feel big? In a sense, it does. And I, I know how, okay, I'll say in a cultural sense, yes, it feels big because this, our culture is so crazy about sports. So it's like, it, it is big. It gets a lot of attention, but from a, an existence and a life standpoint, it is, it is just a game. So I guess there's a, it's got both sides. Like everything does. Is it big? Yes. But there's still a lot, way more important and bigger things out there. I talked to your manager recently about the all-star snub as motivation. And he said, you know, I, I think, I don't think Dylan needs that. He's, he's self-motivated, but let me ask you about that and not getting a start two years ago in the postseason. And you admitted that you didn't deserve it, but yeah. that, that that was a motivator for you. Do those external things matter to you? And do that, does it elevate your performance or is it just something that we all talk about outside of your head? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the playoff one, I, I didn't really feel like I wasn't upset. I didn't get that start because I was so inconsistent. So it was like, I, I don't blame them at all. I, I would have liked it and I would have given everything I had, but I don't blame them for not. Um, with the all-star, I mean, I definitely had a little bit of an extra chip, um, but I, like I said, I try to, I, I pretty much treat every single team and everything single start the same. You know, I don't look at like, I don't look at a team. If it say it's a, a bad record team or whatever, I don't, I don't show up to the park going, man, these guys are, 15 games below 500, I'm going to have to show up today. It's like I'm still trying to show up and, and do the same thing. Um, but, yeah, anytime anytime I get extra motivation, it's nice. But um, I, I don't – I usually kind of bring the same process. Yeah, and really, in, in, in a bigger sense, the outside, whether it's positive or negative on the motivation, you really have to fight making too much of it for that very reason, right? Because if you have your process, it really shouldn't change whether you're eight time all-star yeah. or you've never made it, or if you're facing a team that you've beaten 12 straight times or lost five in a row. If you let those things creep in, you can probably get a little unsettled, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think the, the simpler you can keep it, the better. Like for me right now, I'm in a good spot where I know that to execute my pitch, I have to have my eye on the target and I have to drive hard. And then I just visualize that and that's that's it. Like, it, I, I'm trying to keep it simple, trying not to overthink. Um, so I, I pretty much now just, um, I try to visualize good results happening and just prepare myself. Jason, can we talk a little nitty gritty baseball for a second? I, first, real quick, while you yeah, go ahead. visualize, yeah. just real quick, did you visualize the mustache before it happened? <laughs> no, I didn't. That just uh, honestly just happened. I uh, I FaceTimed my like marketing guy, and he just laughed, and he said, you have to keep that. I was like, oh, I don't know. We'll see. Because I, I, like, I knew if I wore that in spring training, I was going to get made fun of. Um, but I got through that that phase, and then after that, it was like, no, you can't shave this thing. So, But Here we life, are. Life is just a series of moments that you organize in your mind in a certain way so being made fun of shouldn't matter to you right? it shouldn't no it, you're right it shouldn't if anything it was building character yeah yeah yep. but again you're just telling yourself that story it is encroaching on your mouth at this point though is like it does it need the bottoms need to be trimmed up a little bit well it looks like it wants to go on vacation in my beyond, mouth yeah beyond <laughs> the top of your your lips it mm. looks like it like has manifest destiny <laughs> plans it's going to take over the rest of your face. <laughs> yes. You okay well, with that? Like it's ambitious. Mm, no, it's, we got to keep it. We got to keep it. We got to keep it mostly clean with a little bit of edge. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like you, uh, yeah. nitty gritty baseball. Yeah, and well, I'm excited just, to hear what this is. So I don't even know if you care to hear this stuff, but Jason, it's a good it. start. I, well, no, 
<laughs> Everywhere we go, we talk to other broadcasters. We talk about their guys. They talk about our guys. Every time you pitch, broadcaster from the other team goes, that guy's nasty. David Cohn last year when you pitched in New York came into our booth and goes, that's the nastiest stuff I've seen in the league. Wow. Uh, Rick Manning uh, with the Guardians um, was like, it's the best slider I've seen. And they've got Shane Bieber. Um, so the stuff wild. question, how consistently great do you feel like your stuff is? And when it's not great, but it's good enough to get people out, are you okay with that? That, hey, whatever the result is, if it's a good result, I'm good with it. Um, or how does it make you feel when your stuff's not great? Is it all physical? A lot of times it is physical, honestly. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but like, like for instance, when we go, when we look at like my start against Baltimore, I just had, my body was just, I don't know how to explain it, loose, powerful, like I was throwing like 99 with ease, 90 mile an hour starters with ease. For some reason, that just doesn't always happen in baseball. You know, it's it's a long season. We're playing every day, and, and sometimes you show up and you're like 96, which obviously is still good enough. Mm-hmm. For me, I know that even when my stuff isn't good, it's still way above average. So it's like on those days, I just have to get it in the zone and make sure I don't walk people and just battle. Um, but yeah, it is it, it is wild because I, I think, I mean, you know how like, you know yourself better than anyone else does. So I, you see your flaws, you see this, you see that. So for me, I've always kind of been the one who like looked at myself from like a, this is what needs to be improved. This is what isn't good enough. So now that I'm at the point where I'm like getting recognition of like, Hey, this is like as good as it comes, or this is nasty. It's, it's, it's almost as like a foreign feeling. So I almost don't let myself, I almost don't let myself feel that as much as I know that it's, it's probably a reality. Um, I don't ever want to just rely on my stuff, you know. I, I want to mold it and continue to make it better and better and better. And the other question I had was, when you work with the various catchers and reading hitters and their reaction to your pitches, how often do you feel like you veer from whatever the scouting report was to, this guy cannot hit my four-seam fastball or this guy cannot hit my slider and I know that I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to do this because I know I'm going to get him out with this pitch? Um, we usually have, we usually have a really solid game plan going into it. And, um, sometimes like if I'm having a day where my slider is just, you know, as electric as it ever has been, then it's very easy to just, you know, throw it in the zone and have good results. Um, so usually we go with the game plan. Um, a big part of it is just knowing which hitters are aggressive, which ones will, will expand. Um, which ones are patient so you can just get strikes early and they're not going to really chase out of the zone early. That's the biggest thing. So it's kind of all about getting count leverage. Um, but yeah, our, our catchers also do their homework. So, so it's easy to trust, you know, Hey, if they're calling something, there's probably a reason why. Mm-hmm. Oh, one last one. Pitchcom. Love Pitchcom. Did you like it immediately? What yes. was the, how long did it take you to adapt? No, to I liked it, it immediately. Yeah. It's just, it's nice. Like it's nice. It's nice not having to worry about the other team knowing what's coming, you know? I wonder, as you say what you said about letting yourself believe your stuff's electric and not losing your edge, I guess, if I'm going to paraphrase, how do you maintain that while also being confident? Some might say you didn't have confidence because you didn't let yourself say it's that good. No, no. 
the reality is it's that good, but the reality is it's not it's not good unless you win with it. And I'm trying to win, so I know it's great stuff. It's it's impossible to deny it's not. It's plus velocity, plus spin, plus braking. I, I got all the tools, you know. But if I don't win with it, it's useless. So for me, it's like, yeah, that's great, but how am I going to utilize it? It's that next. It's that next step of. Um, you know, doing what it takes to get, to get the job done. It's not just, Hey, I'm good. I'm going to show up and win. It's like, I want to maximize and do every little thing I can to win, you know? So when did, when was the first day in your life that you said, this is plus stuff and I know it in my life? Yeah. Are we talking professionally or just the first day Dylan I mean, Cease was out there and was like, this is electric. I was always, as a kid, I was always one of the more talented players um it, it would be at some point when i was a kid i mean i remember having really good games i mean i i was probably yeah i mean i was just probably more dominant as a as a kid playing against other kids than you know even now but i mean i i, I always knew and then um but i never thought i never thought i was going to be a well i always thought i was going to be a power hitting shortstop but I never, I never even really thought like growing up, growing up watching Pedro Martinez or Randy Johnson or any of those guys, if you had told me, Hey, you're going to throw a fastball just as hard as this guy. And you're going to have a slider just as good as this guy. I would have said, there's no way I, it would have been really hard to fathom. So I guess my sophomore year of high school, my freshman year, I was throwing maybe upper seventies, low eighties. And then sophomore year, for some reason, I just I was thrown in the mid nineties and it just like that, it happened. So that's when I realized I had the velocity, but I didn't know, you know, I, I had no idea where exactly that was going to take me or if it was going to uptick or what, you know, we have a couple more, more minutes with Dylan Cease. Where does the three for three in Cincinnati, where will that mm. rank no matter what you accomplish <laughs> on the mound in your career? Yeah. That's always going to be a, a top. I mean, uh, so good. I, a no hitter would probably rank ahead of that. Playoff wins would probably rank ahead of that, but other than that, it's going to be hard to top that. That was uh, I had I had so much fun batting practice leading up to that. Uh, I had I had fun in the clubhouse, even just even just showing a shred of confidence in my hitting ability. I got destroyed for it, but I have zero regrets. I had so much fun. Who crushed you most for it before? I think Carlos did. I think, but it wasn't not mean spirited. Just no. you know, hey. You're not even gonna see the ball. You're gonna swing when it hits the mitt, and uh, and then I was taking BP, and Jin Tomi was like, "Hey, man, this guy's hands are electric," and I was smashing the ball, and I was hitting bombs in batting practice. I was looking athletic, so Carlos was like, "Okay, you got a good swing, but you're you're not gonna go in there and hit it." And then Lance Lance's advice was, "I think swing when you, swing way early because like it's gonna be hard to catch up to the fastball," um, but uh, yeah, it wasn't the case. I, I, you heard him mix in. I was looking athletic. Athletes love nothing more than looking athletic. Yes, I feel like. Yeah, Why is pitchers, that? Well, pitchers never get any credit for being athletic, ever. And that's a problem. Like, isn't it true sometimes? It is true sometimes, but I mean, I've only been a PO since I was eighteen. I was a shortstop my whole life, so I've always been an infielder, pitcher only. I'm a pitcher only now because because I gained I threw in the upper 90s so I I ruined my shots of being an infielder by just throwing hard. 
I should have capped it down a little bit so I had a chance. So you're saying you should have kicked it down to 92, 93, yes. and then somebody would have scouted you as a shortstop. Yes, I should have, tr and then I could have had a chance at hitting and, and playing the infield because that's my that was where my true passion lied. It's why hitters don't sit on changeups because they hate looking late on fastballs. Yeah, there's yeah. this there's this thing, right? But not in Korea, like not in the Dominican. Just here in the United States, you don't want to look yeah. like an idiot. Right. I guess it's kind of like a, a masculinity thing. Yeah, like, sure. You're not going to beat me with your straight pitch. That's right. <laughs> that's when I give him the old uh, the old uh, European fastball. <laughs> Take a little off. Take uh, a little off, make it slide. What did you keep from that Cincinnati day? A lot. Jersey, bat, batting gloves, all three that's balls. Right. Probably, I think cleats. Yeah, as much as I could. That's awesome. You have a whole like nook. I feel oh, like I, yeah, in the Cincinnati stuff. I, I in the off season, the bats just laying around, so I'll pick it up all the time. Just kind of hold it, you know. Not not. I'm not doing it because of sitting there reliving the moment every time. It's just like it's laying around. But yeah, I got it. I got it around. You want to hit? I do. I, I like hitting. It's fun. Yeah, it is fun. I have one last one for you. Uh, yeah. You have to pick a pitcher who's not with the White Sox. Has never been with the White Sox. Who's somebody you like to watch? The White Sox are facing this guy. You're not missing a pitch. Hmm. That's a good one. I mean, it's cool to watch Verlander because I, I, I was like rooting for that guy when I was a kid, you know. So, um, watching him is is. I mean, what what year? I mean, he debuted in like '06, right? Yeah, a long time ago. So 90, yeah. I was 11. Yeah, I mean, I watched him, like, my progression of, like, being a kid trying to, like, pretend, to, you know, when you're, like, fantasizing as a kid about being, you know, Kobe Bryant or whatever. Watching him was, like, I want to be like Justin Verlander when I'm older because he threw 100 miles an hour in the eighth inning, um, and he was basically unhittable. So so watching him is, is really cool. Great answer. Yeah. How much have you talked to him? I've never talked to him. I've talked to his brother a little bit, but I've never talked to him. Ever? No. You grew up wanting to be him. He's been how, in the how, dugout. How would I? How would I? Uh, how would I? How would I talk to him? He's in the dugout. They come out for BP. You say, "Hey, Justin, really enjoyed watching you pitch for so, a long time." I don't know. You go over. So walk over to their to their dugout, not knowing anyone in their team, but say, "Hey, Justin, let me pull you aside for a little bit." I guess that could work. I guess, I mean, yeah, I mean. You face guys who are bigger than you, possibly yeah, most stronger of time. than you. Most you of strike time. them out. You're absolutely fearless on the mound. But I can't go say hi to Justin Verlander? <laughs> that doesn't fit. Well, I don't know him, so it's like. You don't, don't know, know Miguel Cabrera. You struck him out. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but Miguel Cabrera is different. He gets on first base and he looks at the dugout and he gives like a, he'll do something funny or, you know, something kind of playful where like. I don't, I don't really know. I don't know Verlander. I don't know anything about him other than I grew up watching him. So, Are you secretly be... using Ben to get to Justin? That's smart, but uh, <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't have that intention, but maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know. Okay, so the Astros are in in mid-August. Yeah. It'd be okay. cool if we face each other, huh? No, it'd be cool if you talked to him. <laughs> it wouldn't be cool if we face each other? That would be cool as well. I want you to meet him. I'm okay. like going to coordinate you meeting him. Are you okay, okay. with that? Or are you going to be like, Jason, I didn't no, want I'm that. Not gonna, scared. I'm not going to be afraid. It, it is a little, it's almost a little embarrassing. <laughs> though, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to face this guy. But at the same time, can you sign my, uh, 
sun a ball after the game, you know? So. But, dude, that's baseball. Like, it is. the it is. generational overlap is what keeps this game moving. Yeah, true. So, it like, is. you like love Miguel him. Cabrera, I mean, that guy was hitting bombs off of Roger Clemens in 2003. I was eight. And now I'm facing him. He might be unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer. He, he's got to be. Yes. He's got to so, be. Yeah. 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 We're going to make that happen. Yeah, I'll meet him. All right. That's good. I like the confidence. You just said, I'll meet him. Yes. Hello. I'm Dylan. I'm not going <laughs> to be afraid. I mean, uh, you're, you're playing it off like I would be um, intimidated. It's not It's not like an intimidation no. thing. It's just like, a, I don't know. It's, the an guy. Oppo- it's a guy on another team. Like, I get it. I totally you know, get it. Like, I totally get it. You never know it. how other... I mean, I'm sure it'd be fine. But I'm just making know, it into you know? a bit, honestly. And I, I really do want you to meet him because I think if you had a five-minute conversation, you might take something from him, Mr. Curiosity. Yeah, it's possible. I think it would take more than five minutes, but yeah. Eventually, I would find something I would take. I love talking to you. We'll I really do. do another Benetti badgering session. And a, and you don't want him to meet Verlander? If he wants to meet, yes, I do. <laughs> Not I as would much rather, as you do. I would like to face <laughs> him. I'd like to face him. I think it'd be really cool to have uh, like a pitching duel against him. Yeah. That would be very fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the White Sox win, of course. That's right. Yes. It'd be cool to have a duel. Which is a great way to finish here today. Dylan Cease, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.